0: Hi, fam. Welcome to We're Going There. And let's just start the conversation here as of Wednesday, November 4th. Today, right now, in this moment, I just want to pause and acknowledge that, especially for my North American listeners, is that this is one of the most complex moments of our generation. As of right now, Wednesday, November 4th, we still don't have a president. And with the presidential election results of 2020 still undecided, things are only going to get more complicated, not simpler. It's hard to know what to do or what to say and how to respond. But I find that when I find myself in these situations where there are so many things that I don't know, it's a good time to anchor myself in the things that I do know. And no, I don't think that this podcast is going to be the quick fix answer to everything. But one thing that I'm holding on to this season more than ever. One, a conversation that I've had with our church family and friends and family is that when we don't know what to do, let's hold on to what we do know. And that is to love. I'm going to take a few minutes of your time and spend about 15 minutes uh, from an excerpt that I gave to our church, exhorting us to love like Jesus in moments that feel absolutely crazy. Because in this season, more than anything, The assurity and the confidence that we have is in Jesus, not in a man or a political party. And I get it. There's people outside of the United States that are listening to this podcast. And though this definitely parlays to what we're currently going through in the United States of America, I definitely think the content is applicable to all seasons of insurity. Is it assurity? Insurity? Well, podcast listeners, you can let me know. I was homeschooled. Sorry, mom. Because if you are a follower of Christ and you have a faith background then you will know if we do not get love right, we're getting Christianity wrong. I hope these minutes around this conversation blesses you and calibrates your heart, mind, and soul as we go into this week. No matter what the outcome is for the North American president, I'm believing that this conversation and this reminder will help bring peace to what feels like chaos. get love right. We're getting Christianity completely wrong. So Bible scholars using one moment of Jesus's life through the book of John, I want to highlight three things that love changes. I want to highlight three things that love changes. So um, as we read in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for unity among his people. And I want you to skip a few pages. Now turn with me to John 19. And as you turn to John 19, let me give you a little bit of context Uh, in John 18. So in John 18, we are told that uh, after the Passover dinner, uh, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come, and they lead Jesus away from the disciples. They beat him, they punch him, they spat on him, they pummeled him, they bruised him, They insulted him, they scourged him, they whipped his back so violently that the flesh was torn off and exposed, that his skin was open raw, that his eyes were bruised from the bleeding, that the crown of thorns that pierced his forehead was dripping blood down his body, his body was weak from blood loss, and he said nothing. He stood before Pontius Pilate when the accusations came, Are you king of the Jews? he said nothing like a lamb to slaughter jesus with his damaged broken body carried a cross timber on his shoulders down the way of suffering the via Dolorosa. rosa so weak so anemic so sad from blood loss and heartbreak he pa- falls to his knees someone comes along to help him up and yet jesus says nothing he makes his way up to golgotha And they nailed Jesus to a wooden beam, not for the act of death. No, no, that would be too kind. But for the act of torture until death. And then Jesus finally speaks. He says a couple things on the cross, but there's this one phrase that I want to focus on because I believe in this teaches us what love does. Turn with me to John chapter 19, verse 30. Verse 30 says this. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit uh, in my mind's eye i could see jesus's neck craning i could see with every ounce of strength remaining in his bludgeoned bruised and beaten body looking up to the celestials and crying out to his abba his father to tell us die meaning it is Finished. I think that sometimes if we're not careful, we could read this and hear the voice of a feeble, weak, dying man. But this is not. This is a battle cry. This is a victory cry. This is the type of cry of a mother, last push before a baby enters the world. This is the cry of an athlete straining to cross the finish line. This is the cry. This is the umph. This is the gusto of the weightlifter that's throwing up their max weight. It is that sound. The expression, it is finished to tell us die, was part of everyday language during that time the entire book of john is written in greek but yet there is one word that is kept in aramaic it's this word to tell us die because any good hebrew would have known this word so if a servant went to his master after completing very difficult things he would look at his master and say to tell us die meaning the difficult things that you have asked me to do i have accomplished and completed it is finished when a merchant at the market makes a sale and there's a cash exchange, he will look at the person who just bought the goods and tell them to tell us die. The debt is paid. The finances are even. We are good. When an artist stands back and looks at a painting and makes the last final swoop of their paintbrush, they will say to tell us die. There is nothing more I could do to this artwork. It is finished. When a boy recites one passage of the Torah that is incredibly difficult and goes and tells his father to tell us, die the father will respond back well done my child i am proud of you so when jesus when jesus looks up and says to tell us die he's not saying the enemy beat me he is saying i am finished he didn't say excuse me he went beyond saying i'm finished it's completed he said it is finished it is done the debt has been paid The promises that I made on this earth have been paid in full. He has finished the task and nothing else that anyone could do could be added to that. Jesus paid the price in full. It was my sin that kept him there. His dying breath has given me life. His death, though, has also given me a new sense of resurrection because as he rose from the grave, it gave me victory over death. When Jesus looked to his father and said to tell us die, God in heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased to tell us die everything is done. His act of love, agape, his agape act of love was complete. If you're taking note, love changes us. Number one, love changes us. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that took away the sins of the world. His love should change us. And Jesus Jesus said that we are to love others as he has loved us then our concerns of other people, that should concern us. The concern of other people should concern us. The pain of other people, that should feel like pain to us. The sadness of this people group should feel like sadness to us. The loss of this people group should feel like a loss for us. The loss of Breonna Taylor should feel like a loss to us. The loss of the two police officers in Louisville should feel like a loss to us. Why? Because he loved us and he changed us. And by default, because he loved us, we've got to love others as we love ourselves. So, not only does love change us, for taking note, number two is love changes the world. And let me give you two historical examples. I need you to, to put on your thinking cap with me, put on your history cap with me. Let me give you two examples of how Jesus changed the world. Since as far back as human history, we have seen slavery affect every continent, every country, and every generation since the beginning of human history and now wherever you are i think most of us if you're sane most of us will believe that slavery is wrong slavery is inhumane and, and and dehumanizing that we as human beings that we have an intrinsic right for freedom but do you know this has not always been the case hold on church i need you to talk back so that people alike can hear me did you know that that always hasn't been the case did you know where that concept came from Now, a little historical context, in the fourth century uh, BC, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher by the name of Aristotle, um, many people have heard of Aristotle. In fact, much of our worldview even today was impacted by the Greek philosophers during that time. And he said this, he said this, for that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, it's expedient he's talking about slavery. He's saying, not only, not only is is slavery necessary, it's expedient. This was common during that time. Oh yeah, obviously. Obviously we need slaves. Obviously we need a lower class. Obviously we need people to serve us. But then the script is flipped because in the fourth century AD, after Christianity began to take a hold in the Roman empire, St. Augustine, a fourth century Christian bishop says, no, slavery isn't Needed? Slavery is a sin. Slavery is wrong. And suddenly, this concept of a new world came out of a brilliant mind that slavery didn't have to be part and parcel of culture. Suddenly, all of a sudden, Christians started to wake up and say, this is not the behavior of Christ. We cannot do this anymore. It was a follower of Christ that said, no, this is not necessary. This is absolutely a sin. It was Christians that realized that we have been made in the image of God. It is Christians that have realized we should treat people with dignity because we have been created by a creator and so has everyone else. It is Christians who deem slavery wrong because if we can't get love right, guess what? We're getting Christianity totally wrong love changes the world and it wasn't just slavery that's just one tip of the iceberg that's a modicum of what christianity has done one of the biggest things that christianity did was to to understand an entire concept of life and value during the roman empire um, the romans believed in something called infanticide um, otherwise known as exposure And they not only believed in it, they said that it was good. So in other words, um, they're doing the right thing by terminating a child. I'll explain exposure in a second, but let me give you some context. If you had a, a baby girl, you birthed a baby girl, and women during that time didn't have very much value to the family, you could take your daughter and expose her outside of the city. I'll explain that in a second. If you believe that your spouse, your wife had an affair, and this child that she's carrying is not yours, you have a right to expose it. If you believe that your child is um, a little busted, not too cute, you could expose your child. If you believe that your child had a birth defect, guess what? You could expose a child. Now, well, what is exposure? Exposure means that parents had the right and were encouraged to take their baby outside of the village, outside of the city, to a river and leave the child there to be taken by wild animals, to die of starvation or dehydration because they believe, well, it's up to the fates. Now, Christians came along and fundamentally believed that this was absolutely wrong. They condemned this process of exposure and infanticide. And they would, when they would hear a baby cry or they would hear about a baby going out, they would go outside of the village, they would go outside of the town, they would go outside of the city, they would go down to the river and they would take these babies and welcome them into their own home and give them whatever little morsels of food that they had. But why? Did the Old Testament or New Testament have some law that said, if you find a crying baby, pick it up? No. The scriptures say that, hey, if you take a wayward child in, you're going to be blessed. No. They did this because it was the response of love. They had no other response. It is what love required. And as we as Christians, as we begin to understand what it meant to the world to adhere to God's one command, to love others as God has loved us, then suddenly their lives impacted culture. And guess what? When we love Christ and when we love others as much as Christ has loved us, we impact culture. We can change the narrative because Christianity during this time, it began to expand to different regions and different territories. They began to rescue more babies. They began to fight against slavery. And guess what? It wore on the conscience of the Roman empire. Now, this is fascinating because there's a small but mighty group that uh, from our church, some volunteers from our church that go to Norco Prison Campus. It is our campus number two. A couple of them are in here right now. They have been such a blessing. And it has been so amazing to see uh, the lives that have been transformed, the, the men who get to hear the word of God. And when they first started, there was a young man by the name of Jacob, and Jacob was not part of the church. Jacob's job as an inmate was to set up the gym where our church would meet. And Jacob was out on on the side, and Jacob began to listen. And then not only did Jacob begin to listen, Jacob began to get interested. And not only did Jacob get interested and begin to listen, Jacob received Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. See, this is what happens. When love changes us, we get to change the world through the love of Jesus. Now, not only does love change us, not only does love change the world, Love changes the future because this week Jacob was released Jacob has been reunited with his family and his two beautiful twin daughters. How do I know that? Because he started following TFHOC online through social media and connected to a couple of the people from our prison campus. And guess what? Jacob is still walking with the Lord. That is, that is a big praise. That is a big praise. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, wait, are you saying that if we act like Christians and we love people, that, 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 that the is gonna be affected and politics are gonna change? That's exactly what I'm saying. The behavior of Christians, their love for one another and their love for humanity was the thing that changed the world and not just their world, but their future. In the year 318, after embracing Christianity, the emperor Constantine declares infanticide a crime. A couple, uh, about a hundred years later, it was no longer just a crime. It was a capital offense, punishable by death. Where did that come from? It came from the love of Jesus changing his people. There was a change suddenly there was a conscious change. But why did it become a conscious change? Because Christians were unified around one command, to love others as we have been loved. And if we can't get love right, we're doing Christianity wrong. And we see time and time again, all through Christian history, that when this one command is followed, that it not just changes us, but it changes the world. If you are sitting here watching because someone invited you, guess what? Love changed them. If you are sitting here in this room, guess what? Someone loved you to give to the Make It Rain campaign so that we could have a church. When we are loved by the lavish love of God, we cannot help but love the world around us. John the Beloved said it so well. Well, after Jesus was gone, he kept reminding God's people about the responsibility that we have to love each other. He says this in 1 John 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This is love not that we are loved, but that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Thousands of years later, far from the Roman empire, in 1729 in the United States, the first orphanage was opened. And do you know who it was opened by? Christians. Because the faith of our Roman brothers and sisters from hundreds of years before changed their world and their world changed our future. Because love should change us. Love should change the world and love should change our future. Now, before you think I'm Pollyanna and I'm pretending that we're not gonna have any conflict, that we're not gonna have any issues, that we're gonna agree on everything, I'm not naive. I'm just begging that it doesn't divide us. Like Matt said, we could disagree politically, but we have to love unconditionally. And if you're sitting here thinking like, love isn't enough. Love is not enough. Love is not gonna make a difference. You could sit there on Sunday morning and raise your hand, but this is trash. It's not gonna make a difference. Let me remind you, there were 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, a group of Jesus followers followed a man named Jesus who made audacious claims. They gave to Caesar what is Caesar? And they gave to God what is God's. And that was their life. And now the empire is no more. The Caesar is long gone. Rome's most famous emperor is a footnote in the biography of Jesus Christ. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall and empires come and empires go. But Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church and nothing is going to stop it and 2,020 years later, he is absolutely right. So may his new command, his one command, to love others more than ourselves be at the forefront of our mind. Or in the words of my Syrian friend in a refugee camp in Greece, can I lift my hands and say, no, for you. What if we began to live like Christ because that friend that's love and this is what we need to hold on to in a very crazy season if we love like Christ we will change the world and when we change the world we change the future so what's love? maybe to you in this season love is taking that step forward and saying yes to adoption or foster care maybe to you love is reconciling with your family member. Maybe, maybe the Lord is beckoning you to love your neighbor or a friend and share this message with them. Maybe love is causing you, oh, you can't explain it, but you feel this burden to take care of that single mom that you know is having a financially hard time. That, that's love. Maybe, maybe it's going to your elderly neighbor's house and offering to buy them groceries or cut their lawn because that is love. And when we love like Christ, changes us and in turn it changes the world by changing the world it changes our future spirit of living God we ask you to help us love God this might feel difficult in this season but you are our focus you are the front of our mind and we say have your way God will you do what only you can do because there is no weapon stronger than your love your love could pierce hearts your love can change minds your love can heal bodies your love can restore relationships your love god your love the depths of your love can radically change our mind and bring wholeness where the world is saying all hope is gone so god we honor you we praise you and we say pour your love on us we need you jesus in jesus Thanks for joining this week for this week's episode of We're Going There. It was a short one, but one that I feel is apropos to what's going on in our current landscape of society. I can't wait to close out the first season of We're Going There next week. I have a special guest, and I think it's going to be one of my favorite episodes I cannot wait to share with you. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for you. If this podcast has blessed you, if you like it, if you love it, will you subscribe? Will you leave a positive review? And will you share and tag your friends on social media? Can't wait to chat next week.